All right, here's the question uh, for today. Uh, today's going to be a lot of fun. How do you make decisions? When it comes to the small decisions in your life, when it comes to the big decisions in your life, how do you make decisions? Uh, and let me give you uh, a couple different options. So one way you can make decisions is you can make a decision based off of your feelings. Uh, why did you do that? I just, it felt right. Uh, and I'm sure some of you have made decisions in your life that felt right. And you're like, that, that worked out pretty well. But just so we start off on the same page, if anyone in the room has ever made a decision that at the time felt right, and then a few moments went by, and all of a sudden your feelings changed a little bit, and how you felt about that decision that you made, that you felt so right about at the time, after a week went by, after a month went by, after a year went by, you're like, okay, I should not have trusted my feelings. That was, in fact, a bad decision. Uh, anybody ever? A few? Yeah, okay. Uh, another way you can make decisions is you can make a decision based off of your environment. Uh, and here's uh, what I mean by that. So uh, I grew up for the first few years of my life uh, here. Uh, this is uh, called Co uh, Covington, Indiana. So this is a little bitty town, about 3,000 people in the middle of Indiana. If you're not sure what all these things are, these are what we call cornfields. And there is lots and lots of cornfields. Covington, Indiana, town of 3,000 people, all mostly white, all mostly kind of middle class, all very much listening to country music, uh, all very much Republican. Who wants to bet that living in this town, being raised in this town, influenced the decisions that I made? And, and one of the things I think about is if I moved away when I was in fifth grade, what if I would have stayed? What if like my whole world would have been growing up in this little town? How much different would some of my decisions have been because of the environment that I lived in? Uh, so yeah, then in sixth grade, I moved to Tampa, Florida. My town in Indiana was 3,000 people. My school in Tampa was 3,000 people. Uh, uh, I was there in the midst of, this is a long story, I, I talk about it. Uh, we were in the midst of desegregation laws, so we were uh, trying to figure out, and so they made this rule where they like ship people all over the city based off of your race. And so I was at a school that was all sixth graders, 3,000 just sixth graders, uh, very diverse uh, race-wise, very diverse uh, across the, the, the whole banter, very Democrat, very, just very different environment. Again, who wants to think that living in Tampa, being in that kind of a school, influenced some of my decisions? And you could just go on and on and on. But the environments in which you were raised had a profound influence on you in the environment that you are in right now. Your, your church, the news network you decide to watch, uh, whatever easy echo chamber that all of us can get into can easily just inform our decisions. And what often happens is based off of our environment, we feel like, okay, wait, everyone I know is kind of making these decisions. So this has to be right. And I've heard about other people that make different decisions, but somehow, you know, those people are all wrong and we're able to kind of figure all this out. Uh, another way 
that you can make decisions is you can make a decision by a certain individual. Uh, and again, some of you have made decisions in your life where you are highly influenced by one person, maybe a couple people, and sometimes you've made a decision that you are so thankful. I mean, if that person, that parent, that coach, if you know that, that person hadn't encouraged you, influenced you, just you know their example that they were studying for you, they helped you make a decision that was so much better. And you've had people in your life and you're like, that was a horrible decision. But it was like, I was just trying to be like them. I mean, that was, that was what my friends were doing. Uh, that was, we were just so influenced by the decision of other people around us. And that's why we made the decision that we did. Uh, now, here's why all of this matters. is because for those of us that are a part of Christ Church Albany, and I don't pretend to assume that all of you are a part of Christ Church Albany. Uh, some of you might be here. Some of you might be watching online. And you might be observing, checking out, exploring. Awesome. We love that. But for those of us that are a part of Christ Church Albany, what we believe is that we believe that there is a best way to live. That when we're trying to make decisions, that it's not just like a free-for-all of like, you know, you can all, you know, you, you can decide whatever you want. But what we believe is that there is actually a best way to live. There's a way in which you can make decisions that will actually lead you to the best way of living humanity. And what we call that best way of life is the Jesus way of life. And that's because that's what Jesus said. So here's what Jesus said in John. Uh, Jesus said that I have come to have life and life to the full. One of the things that Jesus did is he came to earth to show us, here's the way in which you should live. And what Jesus said is that if you live this way, it is the way to have a full life. It is a way to experience life in the best way of humanity. And around here, we talk about that in a couple of different ways. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about it as life in the kingdom. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about that of, I am a king, and here's what it looks like if you put me in charge. It's the best way to live. Sometimes we call it the blessed life or the enviable life, a life that people are like, that's, yeah, I see something different in those group of people, and that's what I want. It's the blessed life. Or sometimes we just call it eternal life, which doesn't have to do with just someday I'm going to get to go to heaven but the idea that you can live the life of heaven right now. And to be clear, we are not at all saying that this full best way to live is like, it's not you know, health and wealth type stuff. We're not saying that like, oh, that means you're going to have a huge house and nice car and you're never going to get sick and everything's just going to go great for you in your life. Uh, not that at all. That's the American dream version of it. Jesus talks about a way of servanthood, of putting yourself in front of other people, sacrifice, uh, that sometimes that in following the way of Jesus might actually put us in a situation that feels way more difficult than what most people experience. But what Jesus counterintuitively promises is that when we lean into his way of life, it is truly the best way to live. Uh, and so here's the question that we're going to kind of contemplate today is, one, how do you make decisions in your life? All of us have different ways that you've made decisions in your life. If, and it's an if, you have to decide this for yourself. If you decide that you're someone who wants the, uh, the full life, I'm trusting Jesus. I believe he has something for me in my life. That's what I want. 
then if you, if you, how do you make decisions in your life? If you want the full life, then here's what you need to do. Is you need to listen and obey what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, if you listen to it, and if you obey and say, yeah, that's what, I'm, okay, I'll do it, I'm in. Then you will have the full life. Uh, step back briefly. Uh, why we're talking about this, uh, over this fall semester meeting twice a month, uh, what we're doing is we're going through what we call our essential beliefs. Uh, we have six essential beliefs. There's lots of things that we might see differently, disagree. If you want to be a part of Christ Church Albany, uh, you don't have to agree with us or me on everything, but there's six things. Man, we really, these are the, the most essential things. Uh, we've been going through them over the last uh, couple of weeks. We talked about Jesus, we talked about God, and this week we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the idea behind all of these is that it's not just like a head belief, like, oh, let me intellectually get my head around that. What we believe is that what we believe about these things affects the way in which we live. And if we actually apply these beliefs to our lives, then they will result in the full kingdom eternal life. And so that's why we're talking about it. So today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is I'm going to give a big kind of overview of here's what the Holy Spirit does and then we're going to get real practical on how that looks into our lives. And it's going to be exciting. I think this will be a memorable one. So, uh, so uh, first we're going to look at uh, this uh, question. So we're going to look at uh, all through the narrative of the Bible, it talks about the Holy Spirit. So you can see the Holy Spirit throughout the whole, any part you turn to in the Bible. But where it talks the most about the Holy Spirit is on the lips of Jesus. And where Jesus talks the most about the Holy Spirit is right at the last moments of his life. And so Jesus, one of the last things he did is he did a, a meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. And at this Last Supper, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. This is where he kind of instigated communion. Uh, this is where two weeks ago we talked about God. This is where he made it super clear to them, I am actually God sitting right here in front of you. And this is where he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at just a few of these verses from this large teaching that Jesus did during this Last Supper. Uh, I highly encourage you all to read it yourself. So you can find it in John 14, 15, and 16. Uh, we're going to get some overviews. And here's the questions I want you to ask as we read through this. Sorry, go back to the questions real quick. Is what is Jesus telling us to do? What is he telling them that day? And I believe us to do and what role does the Holy Spirit play? And I hopefully will give this away pretty quick and make it pretty obvious. So here's what Jesus says. As Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What does Jesus want us to do? Jesus wants them and us to obey his teaching. My Father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. He will actually live inside of them. He goes on. If you love me, keep my commands. What does Jesus want them to do? He wants them to keep the commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, uh, which is one of his words he's going to use for the Holy Spirit, to help you. Uh, what's the Holy Spirit's role in this? And be with you forever. Uh, he goes on. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, i.e. the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you 
of everything that I have said to you. So pop quiz, uh, feel free to pop in the chat or you guys can just yell it out. I think you guys know this. So first question, what does Jesus want us to do? Obey him, keep his command. You guys can do better than that. What does Jesus want us to do? Good job. And what role does the Holy Spirit play in that according to what Jesus just, just said? He's an advocate. He's going to help us. He's going to remind us. He's going to teach us what to do. Uh, what exactly does that look like? Uh, a little bit later, Jesus uh, gives a little bit more description to it. Here's what he says. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, feel free, if you don't love the word uh, convict, there's other translations that you can find, and there's probably maybe even better translations. So you can say convict, you can say encourage, uh, you could say, uh, <clears throat> uh, you could say, what, you know, kind of nudge you in the right direction. He will kind of push you uh, to let the world know about sin, righteousness, and judgment. A uh, quick definition of each of those things. I think it's helpful. So number one, uh, sin. We talk about sin, we're talking about things that separate us from God and other people. Uh, and when we say separate us from God, it's very important for you to know what we mean by that. What we don't mean is that there's things that you can do that God will say, ah, I don't want you around anymore. Uh, based off of what you've done, you stay over there. That's never the story. There are things that we say, I, I would like to do this, and I don't want God around me while I'm doing this. Uh, I don't really want you know, God to be here watching me while this is going on. And so there are things that as we do them, we put distance between us and God. And God is polite enough to let us do that. But it separates us from God. And we feel this like void between there. But it's our decision. It's not God's decision. And there are things, and we could all tell our own stories, of things that we have done or we've seen other people done that have separated relationships. Families have broken apart, marriages, uh, friendships, work relationships, things that you do that separate. That's what we call sin. Uh, righteousness. Uh, right, I think you can put the list up there, Pam. I think there's a list up there. Maybe. There it is. Uh, so righteousness is, on the other hand, things that we do that create right relationships between God and other people. There's things that we do that when we do them, they actually help us feel closer to God. There's things that when we do actually make relationships closer, build more intimate, close relationships. Uh, and then there is judgment, and judgment is just future consequences. Uh, and future consequences could be consequences of things that will happen someday eternally, heaven-hell type stuff, or future consequences could be What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? Uh, so a way that I like to think about this is that if you go to a doctor, a doctor, a good doctor, might tell you there's some things that you need to stop doing. If you keep doing these things, these are not going to go well. Uh, you need to stop eating this. You need to stop being so sedentary. Uh, you need to stop engaging in these habits. They might also tell you there's some things you need to start doing. You, you need to start exercising. You need to start eating more vegetables. You need to start getting more sleep at night. And then they will paint a picture for you of if you don't stop these things, 
here's where your life is going to end up. Here's where your health is going to end up. You're not going to be able to walk around with your grandkids someday. If you don't start these things, here's where it will end up. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he's constantly encouraging us, reminding us of what that might look like in the future. And so how do you make decisions in your life? Well, there's lots of ways to make decisions, but if you want the full life, then what you need to do is you need to listen. And if you listen, the Holy Spirit sometimes will say, things you got to stop, man. Things you got to stop doing. That, that thing, I, 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 that, that's not helping our relationship. That's not helping you develop better friendships. That's not going to go well for you. If you listen, there will be things he says, you've really got to get this going. You got, I, there's a, you got to get started. You got to do this. And then you have to actually obey. Uh, now, here's where this starts to get, I think, pretty practical and I think a little clear. Because for a lot of us, like that's good, but it's still a little bit nebulous. And why I know it's nebulous is because one of the things that I do a lot is I like to meet as many of you as I can for coffee, lunch, and uh, I've had lots of coffees and lunches over the course of uh, my ministry career. And oftentimes what will happen, when people get together with me, they will want to ask, not all the time, but one of two questions. Uh, and here's a question that they want to know, because oftentimes what they're wanting to do is they, they're like, okay, yeah, I'm into this idea. I want to follow the life of God. I'm interested in this, but here's now what really I want to know. But what does God want me to do? And there's something specific. Like, okay, like, I, I, I want to follow this life of God. I'm trying to make a decision. Like, so should I buy this house or not? Uh, should I start to date them or not? Uh, should we move in together or not? Uh, should, should I take this job offer or not? Like, I, I want to know what, you're telling me God has a plan for my life. God has decisions he wants me to make. He wants me to live a full life. But I'm trying to make this decision and I want to know, well, what does God want me to do? Or sometimes we'll get, people will get together with me and they'll ask this question. And I want to know, is this, is this thing wrong? And usually what they're trying to figure out is they're like, okay, like here's, I, over here there's this, and this is clearly wrong. Over here there's this, and this is clearly right. But where I'm at is like, I'm kind of somewhere like more on the line. And so I, I, where my, mine's like a little bit more iffy. And so I'm going to like, is this, is God okay with this or is he not okay with this? Is this considered a sin or is this considered right? Like where exactly does this fall? And if you're like me, one of the things that I often hope, wish, because you say, oh, how am I going to make those decisions? Like, well, well, I should follow what Jesus has to say. I should open my Bible and do what the Bible has to say. But sometimes you can look at what Jesus had to say, you go with the Bible. It's like, that's, it doesn't really address it. Like, I'm trying to figure out if I should like buy this house or not. not I, I, don't, I don't see that in there. Like, okay, I'm trying to figure out if this is like, what to do about this, you know, sin issue or not. And the Bible and Jesus doesn't really seem to address this specific sin issue super clear. And sometimes I wish, maybe you've wished, I wish God would have been like a little bit more clear about this. I wish he would have just written down and just, you know, tell me, is this right or is this wrong? What exactly do you want me to do? And if you've ever felt like that, that's why the Holy Spirit is so, so, so important. So here's what Jesus said. So this is, again, in, uh, this big 
talk that Jesus is doing in the Last Supper about the Holy Spirit. Now we're in John 16. Jesus says, he's talking to these 12 guys. They've been following him around for the last three years. These guys have seen so much of what Jesus has done, heard so much of what Jesus said. I have much more to say. It's kind of a, a crazy thing to think about. And what, I put a slide in here for this, but then it, the way in which we know what Jesus said is that there was people who wrote it down. The guy who wrote this down, his name was John. And actually what John told, tells us a little bit later, if you read through the book of John, is John says, yeah, we heard Jesus say all kinds of things, but I didn't write it all down. I actually didn't write down most of it, is what John says. So when we open the Bible and look at the words of Jesus, we don't have everything that Jesus said. And so they heard things that we, it just kind of been lost to history. And Jesus is looking at them who have heard him say everything for three years. Jesus is like, I didn't tell you everything. There's things I never got to address. And here's why I didn't say to you, because it's, it's more than you can bear. I can't just dump everything that you, there, it would just be way too much. So what's it, does Jesus not care? Does Jesus not want us to know all these other things that he has? A, he has an opinion about it, obviously. When's he ever going to get a chance to say it? He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Uh, and then this next part I think is really neat. And it, something clicked actually in my own mind and, mind and heart over the last couple of weeks where I understood this in a way I didn't understand before really what the Holy Spirit's role was. Here's how Jesus continues. Does he, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and then he will tell you what is yet to come. He's going to tell you all the stuff that I didn't get to say. Uh, I think it makes it a little bit clear. Uh, go to the next one. He says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will, reserve, that he will receive what he will make known to you. And so well, we believe God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all the same. But when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, what Jesus is saying is, that's like literally me talking to you. I have so much more to say to you. I, I, I'm, I'm gone in like a few days here, guys. Like, yeah, we, for them at that meal, like, we're going to finish this meal. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And then, boop, I, I'm gone. You're not going to see me a little bit after the resurrection, but then you're not going to see me anymore. I have so much more to say to you. And I'm still going to say it to you. But here's how I'm going to say it to you. It's not going to be me, you know, walking around physically with you anymore. It's going to be me through the Holy Spirit letting you know what I want you to do. And so what we all have access to is that we can know Jesus's opinion. We can know Jesus' thoughts. We can know Jesus' direction on anything we want to ask. And he has the ability to let us know through the Holy Spirit, which opens up in some really kind of crazy ways, I think. So uh, let me give uh, two, uh, kind of like four, but you'll see, uh, practical examples of what this uh, looks like in the New Testament and then for our lives too. So this got moving real quick uh, in, the, in, the Old sorry, in the New Testament 2,000 years ago. So Jesus died, Jesus was, cruci uh, Jesus was crucified, he resurrected, and then real quick, the early church just blew up. And so there's all kinds of Christians now all over the place, all these people who are committed to live the Jesus way of life.
but they have lots of questions about how do we actually do that. And one of the big questions they were trying to figure out initially was what all do we have to do to follow Jesus? In particular, because Jesus was Jewish. Uh, all of Jesus' early disciples were Jewish. And so they did all Jewish things. Uh, they went to the temple. They did sacrifices. They ate kosher. Uh, men were circumcised. And so one of the big questions was that now that there was all these new Christians who were not Jewish, it was a question of how much of the Jewish stuff do they have to do? Do they have to go to the temple still? Do they have to give sacrifices? Do they all have to be circumcised? What all, it, what do we have to decide? And that was a big decision point. I mean, that was, for those of us who were not Jewish, like they were like making a decision of like Christians for the next 2,000 years. Are we going to get to eat bacon or not? Uh, are we going to get to eat ham or not? Uh, are we going to have to, you know, offer sacrifices or not? Uh, are all men going to have to be circumcised? Uh, speaking of, if you're, it's Kim. Uh, <laughs> bad joke. <laughs> Got a few laughs. They were deciding all of this. And how are they going to decide? How are they going to follow these? What are they going to do or not? Well, they could say, okay, what did Jesus talk about or not talk about? And Jesus, he even talked about it a little bit, but like, it's not super clear based off of what Jesus said. They could look at the Old Testament of the Bible, to the Old Testament and say, but that's not super clear. They just have to kind of decide. And so here's what they did. They got a group of people and they got together and they prayed. They asked the Holy Spirit for help. And then here's what they uh, came up with in the end. And I think this is really interesting because one of the questions that, especially when we get to this next part, people are going to ask, like, how do you know for sure? Like, how, when you listen to the Holy Spirit, how do I... How can I stand for certain that I am confident that the Holy Spirit said this? And I think interesting because these guys who've been following Jesus around, they're making this huge decision. Here's as much confidence as they were willing to put on it. Well, it seemed good. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. It seems good to us. This seems like the right way. We've been talking to the Holy Spirit. This, this feels like what he wants us to do. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they made this decision. So how did they make this big decision about what we should do? They, it wasn't just a matter of just opening the Bible. It wasn't just a matter of looking at the words of Jesus as important as those things are. But how they were going to make this decision was going to be by consulting with the Holy Spirit, having conversation with themselves, and then trying to figure out what seems like the best way to move forward. Uh, all right, now let's get and the really fun part. So, because you know, a lot of us wonder, like, how exactly does this kind of stuff play out? And so uh, I want to look at a section of scripture, and I picked this section uh, for a couple of reasons. One, there's different lists of sins throughout the Bible, and it's kind of a big deal. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things he's going to do is convict us of sin and wonder about what that's going to be. I picked this list uh, because it's a little controversial, and so a little controversy is fun, and I think it actually helps in this because it's part of what we're trying to figure out sometimes. It's like, what do we do about the controversial type stuff? Uh, and I picked this one because this is from the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been with us last year, we spent a whole year going through 1 Corinthians. And so all of these are never like isolated little verses. That's a bad way to read the Bible. We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about our belief about the Bible. Uh, but uh, this is a, so we have a lot more context coming uh, from 1 Corinthians. If you remember that series, you can go back and look at it. So here's what uh, again, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians. He's given this list. He says, or 
Do you know that wrongdoers, you can make wrong decisions? Possible. We all know we can make wrong decisions. And they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I highlighted that because that's so important for this context and all these. He's not saying, will not inherit going to heaven someday when you die. Again, he's talking about a way of living right now and that will go on eternally. God has a way in which you, he wants you to live your life. He has a way in which he wants you to experience relationships. And wrongdoers are not going to experience that life that Jesus so badly wants you to do. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we could have a lot of fun with every single one of those, but I'm just going to pick out three. Uh, so, first one, uh, drunkards. What exactly is Paul saying? When Paul says that if you are a drunkard, you're not going to experience the whole life of God, what does he mean? And here's what, maybe you know, maybe you don't, is there are camps when it comes to this. You can go to different churches, you can go to different people who read the Bible, you can go to different people who are trying to follow Jesus, who will have different opinions about what that means. There are some people who will say, well, what Paul is saying is he is saying that if you ever have a drink ever, then you're missing the point and you're making a wrong decision. And there's people out there that they're, they're teetotalers. They, they, they live their whole life completely sober. And that's what they think Paul means. There's other people that would say, well, what Paul's talking about there is that if you ever drink too much, you know, if you have that one too many, then on over a line, and now you're kind of missing out on the best opportunity. And other people will say, well, no, what, I mean, everyone is going to, you know, have a little too much at some point, you know. The Bible talks all kinds about celebration and party. What he's talking about is that if you live a life of being a drunkard, I mean, if you're just live every, you can't go through a day, every problem is just solved with alcohol somehow, that's what he's talking about, and you're not going to inherit the whole life. So which one's right? How do you decide? Well, how do you make decisions in your life? You do it by feeling. Which one feels right to you? You could do it by environment. What, what is the environment? Well, the church I grew up in, you know, it, uh, you could do it by a person. What, you know, what is my pastor? What is this author? You know, or you could spend time with the Holy Spirit to say, well, what, what, what do you really want that to mean for me? Uh, another one, uh, the greedy. Uh, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says that if you're greedy, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Again, there's some people, and what they will say is, well, what that means is that a greedy person is anyone who has more than they need. And actually, a guy named John the Baptist was very clear on this. John the Baptist said, if you have two coats, you don't need two coats. I mean, who can wear two coats at the same time? Give one away. Uh, if you have more food, anyone who has extra of anything, then therefore you are greedy. And so the only way to not be greedy is to live a life of radical simplicity. I mean, just only have enough clothes that can go on your body and give the rest away. Savings accounts, you know, that, we, that, that's not trusting God. We need to live as simple as possible. And there are churches and there are groups, and that's absolutely what they, that's how they believe that that's what Paul's talking about there. There are other people that would say, well, what he's talking about 
is people that just have exceedingly more. You know, it's anyone like if, if you're buying everything on debt, you know, you're just living beyond your means. That's what that means. And then there's other people that say, well, that's really only talking about extreme, you know, like the 0.001%, those people that have private jets, and, you know, those are the people that are really greedy. But what does it really mean? Uh, you could do it based off of what you feel like. You could do it based off of your environment. Uh, and you could do it based off of a person. Or you could spend some time with the Holy Spirit and say, what does that actually mean? God, if you don't want me to be greedy, if greedy, if being greedy is something that's going to keep me away from the life, what exactly does that mean? Uh, and then uh, maybe the most controversial, although uh, maybe not the most important for a lot of us, uh, is the one about men who have sex uh, with men. And again, there are different camps. Uh, there are different churches. There are some folks that would read that and say, well, it's clear what Paul is saying there. He's, he's writing this to the Corinthians. You know what was happening in Corinth 2,000 years ago? That there was rich, wealthy men, and they wanted to make sure that they had power and subjugation over their servants. And so what they would do is they would force themselves physically on their servants. And come on, you can't do that. Or some people would say, I mean, again, this happened in Corinth 2,000 years ago. He's saying right, there was people that like, I mean, they, they were in a committed relationship. They, 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 they were married, but there was these temples where you could go and kind of have these wild times. And they were guys like, I, I'm going to basically cheat on my spouse and I'm going to go and I'm going to go to this temple and just kind of live it up. And that's not right. And then there's lots of other degrees along the way of people that would say what is right and what is wrong. And every single one of us could go around and we could say, well, here's my personal feeling about it. Here's what I want to be true. Here's what my political, my environment, here's what my political group says. Here's based off the church that I grew up in. Here's this person that I said. Uh, but what does the Holy Spirit actually tell us to do? What does he tell us to live by? So here's the question. How do you make decisions in your life? Do you do it based off of just your feeling, what feels right to you? Do you do it based off of an environment? Do you do it based off of a person? Because what Jesus says is if you want the full life, you do it by listening to the Holy Spirit. And I can just keep pushing and like get myself in trouble. I'm trying to walk a tightrope here. But what I've found is that many Christians, uh, I'm sure not any of you, but what other Christians have done, what I have done in my life, is many times I've actually picked one of the other ways to make a decision. And so I, I, here's what, what I feel like is right. And then I will do just enough Bible study to find verses that will support my view of what I already, or my environment, or what this other person told me, and then I'll go along with it. And I won't ever actually spend the time to really get down on my knees and say, but God, what do you want me to do? And of course, the reason is very obvious with that list and many other lists, because I'm scared. I, I like going out and socially drinking. So what, what if I like really spent time? It's fun to be drunk every once in a while. I, I want my truck. I, I want to have, you know, a big, like, I, I know what I want to believe about people of different. I know what I want. 
And it's so easy for me just to go on. And again, just you know, trying to like, walk a fine line here because I really want everyone to like get this. When you read through the New Testament, especially when you read through the book of Acts and you read through what the Holy Spirit is causing people to do, it's not sometimes he pushes people that have a more conservative view and the Holy Spirit leads them to a more liberal view. And sometimes people following the Holy Spirit, he moves them from a more conservative view to a more liberal, sorry, from a more liberal view to a more conservative view. It's not like we have to like figure this stuff out and we do it by asking the Holy Spirit. Uh, so here's what I want to ask you guys to do uh, today and just as a church as we keep going on. Here's what Jesus said in uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're spending a lot of time on these days, is he's talking about this idea of how we live this life of him. And he's talking about that in a second, he's going to give the example that we've used before of like the man who built his house on a firm foundation talk about that, and built it on a sandy foundation and obey my words. And he's going to encourage them and I believe us to ask and it will be given to you and seek and you will find. And what I believe is that if you really ask the Holy Spirit about a certain issue that you're trying to figure out, I don't know if it'll happen immediately. Sometimes you wrestle with this stuff for a while. But if you ask and you keep seeking, I believe that you will find. And the Holy Spirit will let you know what you should do. And it might be exceedingly difficult for you to actually live out. But I don't know about you. What I want most is to follow what Jesus actually wants me to do. And he's speaking that through the Holy Spirit. Uh, lastly, uh, before we take communion today, and it very much dives into that idea. Because it, if we talked about Jesus a few weeks ago, we talked about God uh, a few weeks ago. If your view of God is like this, you know, I'm going to get you told and tell you what to do, then like, do I even really want to listen to that? But here's what our view of Jesus and God is, is that he loves you. And actually, of uh, the Holy Spirit, so uh, go back to that John slide for a second, that next slide. Uh, it talks about that uh, word of advocate. And it's, again, there's lots of different ways in which you can translate that. Some people translate it as counselor. Some people translate it as uh, advisor. Some people uh, translate it as like coach. Uh, I think a pretty good translation of it uh, is, is this idea of like the best friend ever. Because going back to what the Holy Spirit does, convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Isn't that what like a really great, I mean, you can always find a friend that's just like, oh, you're doing great. I love you exactly the way you are. And that's helpful in a little bit. But a really great friend will see you doing good things and they're like, oh, keep going. You're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. And a really good friend will sometimes sit down with you and say, there's some things I see in your life that you're doing. And I think your life would be better if you stopped doing them. And I love you enough to let you know that. There's some things in your life that I think you should start doing. Uh, you need to get this habit going in your life. And I love you enough to have that conversation and even paint a picture of where I see your life going if you don't make these changes. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. That's what we believe about Jesus. He's not just this guy who's ordering us around, but he wants to be our best friend ever. Uh, and then finally, is the uh, last slide. Yeah, best friend ever. The, the last slide. This is again in... Jesus talking about who the Holy Spirit is. And over and over again, this 
word love, love. I didn't even highlight them all. Loves, loves. This is who Jesus is. He loves you. And he loves you enough to push you and defraud you. He loves you enough to help you. You're trying to make these, some of you right now are trying to really figure out what you should do with a certain situation. And he loves you and he wants to help. And if you've made really bad decisions, he loves you enough to give you a second, a third, a fifth, a hundredth, a millionth shot over again. And he shows us that when he died for us on the cross. So what we're going to do, I asked Monica to come up. She's going to just play a little bit of music. And uh, we're going to give a few minutes where you guys can take communion and remember this God who loves you, who's asking you to obey him and to follow him because he loves you. And I want you to spend some time as you take communion today with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't the one shot. You can do this any day, any week, hopefully constantly. But I think for many of us, there's something that maybe we're wondering about right now. And to so just spend some time with the Holy Spirit, say, yeah, you know, I'm trying to make this decision right now. I know what I want to do. I know what everyone around me is telling me to do. I know what I found this person. I know what they're telling me to do. But what do you want me to do? Or maybe if you don't have something that's right burning mind, maybe you just want to take this moment to say, God, Holy Spirit, speak. Is there anything you want to tell me right now? Because I want the full life and I'm willing to listen to you. Uh, so Monica's going to come up and play, and you guys can, anytime during this, take communion, but just spend a few minutes uh, with the Holy Spirit. I think he wants to speak to us today.